is Amanda Van Annen. Join me and my co-host, Chandra Lynn, as we take you beyond the beauty myth and get face-to-face with reality. This show covers most topics every modern woman wants to talk about. Finances, relationships, wealth, personal development, branding, and how to find purpose and discover your true, authentic self. Hi guys, welcome to Beauty on the Beat. I'm your host, Amanda, as usual. And on the other side of the studio with me is the favorite Chandra Lynn. Chandra, how's your day been going so far? So good. You know, it's the Independence Day weekend and I Mm -hmm. love this time of year because I like to celebrate independence and freedom. So it's just, it's just, Mm -hmm. I'm all about it. That is so (laughs) important. Yeah, that is so important. And anything fun you're going to be doing this weekend? Yeah, actually, I'm getting together with a group of women. We called our sister circle to celebrate Litha this time of year. And then I have a little photo shoot with some girlfriends. One of them's a photographer and they we get together and we kind of memorialize our time together sometimes with with her beautiful photography, Suzette Hibble. Uh-huh. And yeah, just kind of going to try to find some fireworks somewhere that aren't going to burn down a hill in oh, California. Wow. We're having such a hard time these days. <laughs> yes. So guys, as we're celebrating independence, one thing we wanted to talk about is being independent, whether it's being yourself as a woman or as an individual and, you know, having the power and to express yourself and not letting your voice be silenced. So today, one of the guests we've got in the studio with us today is Michelle Dewsbury, who's an international philanthropist and a soon-to-be best-selling author on Amazon.com for her memoir, But I Love Him. She's the CEO and founder of Unsilenced Voices, a nonprofit organization focused on eradicating domestic abuse, sexual, gender-based violence worldwide. Michelle has been interviewed on major networks and was recently seen on Tradio V, interviewed on Carcos News, and featured in the Collaborative Post. Michelle is a trusted essential asset to millions worldwide, coaching and empowering people who have experienced extreme difficulties and unforeseen circumstances. Her passion is to empower, encourage, and enlighten individuals to create massive success in business and personal relationships, and to develop essential lifelong skills to overcome obstacles so they can impact the world. Michelle founded Unsilenced Voices in 2017. The organization currently operates in Ghana, Sierra Leone, and Rwanda, where she works with partners to implement shelters, sanitation programs, legal assistance, vocational training, medical and counseling to victims of domestic abuse and sexual gender-based violence. She's developing essential partners in the USA, to serve the greater Los Angeles area in 2021. Currently, she is fundraising for a National Domestic Violence Awareness Tour. Michelle, welcome to the Beauty and the Beat podcast. Hi, thank you so much, Amanda and Chandra. And it's amazing to be on this show. Super excited to spread awareness because as we all know, this is not talked about enough. Yes. So great to have you. It's so great to have you. So Before we delve into the serious topics, I've just done an introduction of you and what you do. Can I ask you, because I know a bit about your history and how you came to this, what made this become an inspiration or your lifelong purpose? Could you tell our audience a bit about that journey? Yeah, no problem. Thank you again, Amanda. So I'm going to fast forward my life until about 2000 and let's say 
2011, I end up moving to California because I want to pursue an acting career. And I love being on the stage in front of people. And I thought that I was on my way to stardom. And then I ended up meeting somebody, this blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy who swept me off my feet. And I fell head over heels in love with him. And things were going well, and he was courting me, sending me gifts and flowers, and he was taking me to ball games and taking me to concerts. And if you know me, if you're watching and you actually do know me, I'm a huge Dodgers fan, but that was because of him taking me to Dodgers games all the time. And then things turned for the worse. About four months into that relationship, my head went through the drywall, and I didn't realize that that was the beginning stages of a domestic violence relationship. I ended up staying with my abuser, we'll call him Paul, for roughly four years. And during those four years, I endured psychological manipulation, financial abuse, sexual violence, and a lot of physical violence. And when I escaped that relationship, I sat in front of my computer, very similar to what we're all doing at home right now, and I began to document what happened to me. And when I documented it, it first came out in a play format, and I wrote and performed a 65-minute solo play based on my experience in domestic violence. And then people started coming up to me and telling me their stories of abuse and thanking me for speaking up. And then that's when I knew I had to do something. And in 2017, I founded a nonprofit organization called Unsilenced Voices. We currently operate, like Amanda said, in Ghana, Sierra Leone, and Rwanda, And we are expanding to the USA this year. Super excited about that. We are holding our first awareness and fundraising event July 22nd in Las Vegas. So if you are interested in that, make sure you visit unsilencedvoices.org so you can attend and or donate. And then from there in 2019, I published my first book, But I Love Him. And then I've been speaking on stages worldwide. So I speak on about three different live platforms a month right now, and then a handful of different virtual platforms, spreading the message and helping people overcome challenges and helping to spread awareness about unsilenced voices. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Thank you again, ladies. That is very inspirational, Michelle. Thank you for sharing your personal journey. And I know that so many women can relate to what you just said. And I'm wondering, how did you get involved with women in Africa? I mean, being you're starting in the U.S. soon, but you've been working over there. And I'm just wondering, how did you make those inroads initially? Yeah, no problem. I get asked that question a lot, which is kind of funny. Prior to me starting my own organization, I was vice president for another nonprofit that worked in Sierra Leone. And I ended up taking a mission trip to Sierra Leone back in 2016. And while I was in country, I was able to talk to two different groups of women about domestic violence in their country and realized how bad it was. So I ended up leaving my position with YVA and focusing my efforts on ending domestic violence. I actually worked on Skid Row for about six months at the Downtown Women's Center, not thinking I was gonna start my own organization yet, and then interviewing up in Oakland for another nonprofit. And then God just placed on my heart and sent me some signs that I was supposed to start my own. Takes a lot of courage to start your own of any kind of business, especially one like this where you have to be so personally vulnerable. So we commend you yeah. for that. Amanda and I are both 
entrepreneurs and supportive of all women, you know, who want to carry out a mission that's important to them and dear to their hearts and that they know that are going to impact the lives of other people in such a positive way. So I think it's great. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. So I, <laughs> no problem. So I had some questions, you know, to ask you about this, you know, because the topic of domestic violence is one that is not commonly talked about, even by survivors. You know, a lot of women mm -hmm. have been through domestic violence, whether or sexual abuse, whether it's by their fathers, you know, the men that have been put in charge of them, the people that they love the most and how they've been attacked and abused. And I know, especially in places like Africa, it's kind of the norm. And even to stages where, you know, like it's, you know, where in a place like America, the person would go to jail, you know, where they'd almost kill someone, you know, and they would get away with it just because patriarchy in those countries is running at a really, really, really high level. Working in something like this and the trauma that comes with it and the fact that a lot of women that even that have been through this, even here in America or in the Western world, are so ashamed of talking about it or just seeking therapy. I don't want to say why do you think that is, because we probably all know why that is, but how common is this problem? Yeah, you are right. A lot of people do feel ashamed and a lot of women aren't talking about some of these huge issues, uh, gender-based violence worldwide. And in Africa, it is the norm. There are a lot of women who ended up coming up to me and asking me, well, if my husband doesn't beat me, then that means he doesn't love me. So it's changing that mentality. Education is key. The only way mm -hmm. to change this epidemic is to speak up. So we encourage survivors to tell their stories because if you don't tell your story, then it's a perpetuating cycle that continues to happen. And the statistics are startling. One in three women worldwide experience domestic violence. One in four here in the United States and one in 11 men in the United States experience domestic violence as well. And that's not including the one in four women who experience rape in the U.S. or the 200,000 children that are being trafficked within our borders and 18 million children worldwide. So in order to stop a lot of these injustices, we have to use our words and words will create actions and the actions will then implement legislature and protections to serve not only women, but survivors and children all over the world. So in a lot of these countries you go to in Africa, are you also trying to work with the government, with the legislature, like trying to get laws, you know, put into place or is it mostly just the nonprofit on the ground stuff? So we legally cannot implement legislature or vote for a specific person running for office. However, we do work with the government in Africa. So we visit the police officers in both Ghana and Sierra Leone. I personally haven't been to Rwanda yet, but next year I plan to go. Mm -hmm. And we make sure that we work with them 
to end the cycle because you don't want to work against somebody and you don't want to work without partners. So we work with the Domestic Violence and Victim Support Unit mm-hmm. in Ghana. We work with the FSU in Sierra Leone. So it's so important mm-hmm. to work together in order to end this. We believe collaboration is key to sustainable change. So we not only work with the government, but we work with other organizations and NGOs on the ground as well. If you were to be able to speak to women who are early in relationships that, you know, potentially or already abusive, what signs can they look out for to know that they really need to get out of it as soon as possible or to seek help? Like, I'm just wondering if there's early warning signs, you know, something that where people can feel like they're not alone in this and that there are some resources for them. Yeah. What would you recommend for them? Yeah. So um, I'll tell you a quick story. When I first started dating Paul, I thought that everything was happy-go-lucky. Now, I didn't grow up in an abusive home. I didn't see my father or my mother fight with each other or hit each other or scream at each other. The first sign was when I started dating him, he took complete control over every situation. At first, I thought it was kind of nice, but looking back on it now, it was a form of manipulation. So he would order for me, order drinks for me and my dinner. He would, at one point, he said that I didn't need to carry a purse any longer because he would take care of everything and he would hold my ID for me. Some of that would be nice gestures. However, with a narcissist, it was manipulation and control. Now, in early stages, look out for how their friends talk about them. If their friends or family members are saying, oh, beware, listen. I remember one of his friends ended up telling me in the very early stages, oh, he's got a hefty past. And I didn't listen. You know, I was, I was love struck and I didn't really see the signs. One of the other early signs is moving the relationship forward too fast, where it feels almost uncomfortably fast. I ended up moving in with Paul like four months, five months into our relationship, and I moved out of Los Angeles. He got me to move to his hometown, so he isolated me, took me away from my friends and my family. And then the first sign of physical violence, he made it seem like it was my fault, And then the apology stage in that cycle of domestic violence, he said he would never do it again. He loves me so, so, so sorry. And unfortunately, they do it again, especially if they don't seek the help that they need for healing. From what I know about narcissists, they don't really take responsibility or, you know, ever really get help because they don't necessarily believe that it's them anyway, that they can gaslight and blame the other person a lot. So do you think that this domestic violence situation goes hand in hand with narcissism or what is your take on that? I do. I do. I actually do believe that domestic violence does go hand in hand. Now it's not a hundred percent. So every case is different. Now, Here's the thing. We believe that rehabilitation can happen for abusers. We as a team know that hurt people hurt people. So there's a reason why they're lashing out. Now, getting them to seek the therapy or do the work to get behind why they are hurting, that's the difficult part. And being a narcissist, they don't take blame. They blame other people for situations that happen. So typically, they have to serve some type of repercussion for what they've gone through. So for example, in my situation, I took my power back by suing my abuser. Now I'm not legally 
allowed to speak about terms or whatnot, but he served some type of repercussion. So in my situation, although he beat me for for four hours multiple times, I've forgiven him, and I actually really do hope that he is seeking the help that he needs. And we all have to get to that place of forgiveness. But the only way to end all of this is to speak up. And then that, in turn, will hopefully encourage those abusers to seek the help that they need. Yeah, Michelle, one thing I wanted to ask as you were talking about that was one of the things I really want to talk about here is, you know, there is the abuser and the victim, but then there's also sometimes there's the family around them. You know, one thing I find about sometimes what happens in these cases is the family are in denial because I've seen people that have been abused by their parents and the parents abused one child, didn't really abuse the others as much. And the others pretend like nothing happened. And so when they're talking about daddy or mommy, they're like, oh yeah, but she was great. But yeah, maybe she didn't treat you right. But even for them to acknowledge that, that that was abuse. That person beat you every day. That was abuse. They can't acknowledge it. And I've also seen it happen in bigger families where a wife or a husband is being beaten or hit or abused sexually, physically, verbally, and the other family members turn a blind eye. And I mm -hmm. think this is a huge issue because sometimes the abuser cannot come out because it means losing everything. It means losing their whole family and everything they've ever known. So, however, you have to weigh yeah. your life right? What is your life worth? Now, I do deal with a lot of individuals, especially in Eastern world countries, Asian culture, even mm -hmm. cultures in Africa, right? Where it's a family yeah. issue. Abuse is a family issue. They typically blame the victim of abuse mm -hmm. for it happening. Now, what I would say or suggest in this situation is Know that you're not alone, because if you know that you're not alone, then you were born into your God-given family. However, when you are on this planet, you can rebuild another family of support system, of friends, of people who can be there by your side while you're escaping this violent situation. I read a book, I want to say two years ago now, A Child Called It. It was one of the worst child abuse cases in the state of California up to that date. And Amanda, just like you were saying, this one child in the family was being severely beaten while the other children were not. This one child was starving, wasn't allowed to eat. There was a lot of horrible things that happened to this one child. However, when that child finally spoke up, the teachers came to him helped him, helped him escape that abusive family and get him placed in another home where he lived the rest of his life without abuse. And then he decided to speak up against the injustice, against what happened to him. And that's what's so important. So you are right, Amanda. Unfortunately, in a lot of different cultures, customs, women have a hard time escaping because the family will say it's your fault but I want you to know that it's not your fault and that you can make a choice and your life is worth more than staying in an abusive home. When you say speak up, what are the options? Where can people go that are safe place for them to speak up? 
because it may be that they even might want to speak up, but don't feel safe to do so because of whatever repercussions that's going to create. Yeah. In the beginning, yeah. yeah, in the beginning, it is very difficult. So if you're involved in domestic violence, if your life is threatened, typically when a victim leaves an abusive relationship, that's when they are at higher risk of death, because that's when the abuser will try to come at them even harder to make them stay because they don't want to lose you. Now, however, if you need assistance, if you need help, in my case, I started going to therapy. Now, my abuser thought I was going to therapy because I needed it to be a better girlfriend. I was actually mm -hmm. going to therapy to figure out a plan to escape that relationship. And that's what happened. There are Facebook groups where they're private. You can reach out to hotlines, the domestic violence hotline. There's also rape hotlines. There's a lot of nonprofit organizations that will step in and help you. And there are a lot of shelters, especially here in America. There are a ton of shelters where you can go and reach out to. And then once you have escaped, I encourage you, file a restraining order, talk to police officers, maybe talk to attorneys to take your power back. And then once you are able to take your power back, once you feel safe, then you can actually speak up, whether it's a book, whether it's on a public platform. If you still don't feel comfortable doing that, writing out what happened to you and then maybe destroying the paper afterwards is so liberating and it helps to open you up to other different possibilities that are even better for your life. So I hope that answered your question, Chandra. Yeah. And then with your organization specifically, what are the services or what is the organization able to offer? So in Ghana, Sierra Leone, and Rwanda, we do a lot of sensitization programs, which is educational seminars where we actually educate men and women. Because when we were there, the women asked me, can we include men? And I'm like, of course, you know, it's, it's your country, it's your culture, however you want us to run. Now, we also have a vocational training center that we've partnered with. So we help young girls off of the streets who are selling themselves. We work with the police officers. Here in the United States, we're having platforms. So our vision is to go to a different city every month, work with an existing organization that provides direct services like case management, child care assistance, integration back into society, integration back into the workforce, and educate the public but also provide those services to those survivors at those specific events. So we will be at Vegas, LA, San Francisco, Chicago, Phoenix. We're picking a lot of the cities now, and then that's how we provide those services. It's more encouragement because, like I said, if people don't know what they don't know, then nothing is going to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's very important. And even, I guess sometimes even people in third world countries think like in places like America, domestic violence doesn't happen and it's rampant, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I also hear the thing where people would be like, well, if he's hitting her, why doesn't she just leave? You know? And um, what a lot of people don't realize is, especially for women that have children, they're thinking 101 things. Should they leave and leave their children or do they have to take the children with them? They don't know where to go. They don't know how to go about it. They're so afraid of their perpetrator that 
leaving is not as easy as we, and then there's the psychological fact, you know, where they're like, okay, maybe I should just stay a bit more. Maybe he will change. Maybe he'll change. And we've seen what it sometimes leads to. It leads to sometimes, unfortunately, people dying. Yeah. No, you know, definitely. because they haven't got out of this abusive relationship. So in a place like America, what would you advise someone that's in a relationship or that's listening to this right now that's thinking, I've got to get out of here? What will be the first step? Is there a hotline they should call? Do they just pack their clothes up in the morning and just keep on walking? Or is there a support group? Or is there a domestic abuse line? What's the first step they should take? Yeah, the first step is believing that you can leave. You have to first believe that you can escape the relationship. Now, the perpetrator, the abuser, will tell you that if you leave, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt your family. I'm going to take your kids away from you. However, when you leave, my first suggestion is to go to the police. Make sure you file that restraining order. Make sure you have something on record showing that you are escaping a domestic violence relationship. My abuser, although I didn't have children, he was a very, very successful entrepreneur. There were many times where he told me he would kill my family. Many times he told me that he would strap two by fours to my feet and throw me in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And for a while, I believed him and I was scared to death to leave. And one day he was gone on a meeting and I took a deep breath and said, today's the day. And I grabbed all of the clothes that I needed, threw them in my car, sweaty palms, heart pounding, and I got the heck out of there. And then from there, I went to a friend. Go to friends. There's shelters. There's hotlines. There's a ton. You can go to unsilencedvoices.org. We have a resource section where there's other organizations that provide the shelter and the hotlines that you need, the counseling services. And then really... Try your best not to talk to them. That is the hardest part. So the cycle in domestic violence is you walk on eggshells and then there's a big blow up, whether it's emotional, sexual, physical, and then the apology stage. That apology stage looks like, I love you so much. Please forgive me. I promise I won't do that again. And we want to believe those words. At that point, the perpetrator wants to believe those words as well. However, if you answer that phone call, if you go back to that person, then you're going to start the cycle all over again. I ended up leaving Paul seven, eight different times before I finally made the decision to get the heck out and stay out. And it wasn't until he put another girl's head through a window when I cut off all communication. It takes time. You're not alone. Whatever he says, that he can hurt you, that he can change your life for the worst if you leave him, don't listen to it because it is only manipulation. I imagine with them, they're trying to isolate you. They're probably also trying to reduce your financial independence as well. So it's good to know that there's shelters and places that you can go to kind of start to rebuild. Because I imagine that if you have left your own place and you're living with him and then, you know, he's saying you don't even need a purse, you, you know, I'll buy everything and take care of you. Then you can, if it seems flattering at first, you start to allow that. And then at some point you think, I don't have financial resources of my own. I don't have another place to go to. 
And so obviously family and friends are probably just can't wait for you to leave and, and call on them to help you. In some cases, they see it before you do, but also that there's organizations and even like you said, starting with the police or these shelters or hotlines that can be a good step. And I think it may seem like a scary step, but it's scarier to stay. And I think if you have children, it's even more of a leverage to leave because you know, to it's one thing to put yourself in harm's way. It's another thing to allow your children to be harmed by somebody that is in their life. I'd love to comment. You talked about two specific things, right? Children and also financial abuse. A lot of people don't understand that financial abuse is a form of domestic violence. The isolation, Paul made me quit my job. He was paying off my credit cards, telling me that he would, we would use them for all of his business expenses and then he would pay them off again and help my credit. He didn't allow me to have a job. So I didn't have cash on hand. So in order for me to save, I ended up taking $20 bills here and there from his pants pockets when I would put his clothes away. So I had cash on hand. I was in charge of paying the bills. I made sure to make double payments on my car while I was strategically figuring out how to get out of the relationship. So when I did leave, I wasn't stuck with huge, huge bills. I was super scared because when I left him, our credit cards were at like fifty or $60,000. And when I left, he refused to pay. My credit went from 800 all the way down to five something. And it's just the rebuilding process. I was deathly afraid, but now looking back on it, it just took time to rebuild and you can rebuild. And the other thing you talked about, Chandra, is kids. A lot of people want to stay in those relationships because of their children. Well, this is the thing. You don't want to stay in those relationships because those children see what happens. The girls oftentimes grow up accepting that type of behavior from a boyfriend or a husband. The boys either grow up despising domestic violence, doing something about it, or end up being an abuser themselves. They grow up in a family, both the girls and the boys, where they witness screaming at each other and yelling at each other, witness the physical violence, the sexual abuse that happens. Even if you think they're not in the same room, they can still hear it. And that's what happened with Paul. I was told by his mother at one point that she had been abused by his stepfather, and he never saw it right? Paul told me, I never saw any of that. She's lying. However, she had told me that he was in the next room. So there was subconsciously, he was listening to this, listening to the abuse. And I honestly think that is a lot of the reason why him being an adult ended up being an abuser. Another thing I wanted to ask you was, because we've talked a lot about the domestic violence thing, I wanted to touch on domestic violence in children when it's child abuse, because it's this form of domestic violence, whether it's the child is being hit or whatever, or being abused verbally. What resources are there for children? Apart, is it, you know, if a child is listening to this, that just happens to be listening to this on YouTube or somewhere and, th and thinks, I want to get out of here, but I'm so scared because, you know, either mommy or daddy or whoever it is, is not going to say anything or I'm going to lose them. Because, you know, as children, we, that's our only security. We've never lived on our own. We don't know what it's like. This is all we've known in our lives. And then there's also the repercussion as a child, because you're scared if you tell someone at school and they go tell your parents, then you get home that night, you're going to get a 
even bigger beating. And they're going to tell you, you talk one more time, you know? So for, if there's a child listening to this, that's thinking, I want to get out of this situation. What should they be doing? Should they be telling someone at school and saying, I don't want to go back to that house anymore? Because once you do it, the perpetrator just gets worse, like what you said earlier. So if they make that decision, should they be like, so teacher, this is what happened, but I don't want to go back, call child services, or what should they be doing? So this is a very tough subject, Amanda. And if mm -hmm. you are a child listening and you are experiencing abuse at home, really the only way to be able to escape that is to report it. And that is the scariest thing, like you said, because you're scared. If you tell somebody and it gets back to your parents and you go home, then you're abused even worse that night or for future beatings. My suggestion would be teachers, yes, police officers as well. So being children, you see, meet police, going up to them and asking them for help, creating a relationship with an adult who doesn't hurt you that you can trust is probably another good option. A lot of those adults are going to be teachers, social workers, counselors at school. So calling CPS is very important and you can do that as well, but your parents are going to fight for you right? And then if you are placed back in that home, you need to be able to show some type of proof. So if you are being beaten, I would start taking pictures of some of the wounds because a lot of that is evidence. And if you have evidence in a court of law, typically they won't place you back in that abusive home. So it's a good idea. I know when I was beat multiple times, I ended up taking pictures. And in my book, there are a couple of pictures where you see me black and blue and puffed up face and I can't even open my eyes. And if I didn't have those photographs, then I wouldn't have been able to move forward against him in a court of law. Yeah. So that's so important. The evidence is so important. And if you're a child listening to it, one of the most important things is if you even feel like you can't tell your teachers, call child protection services or find the nearest police station and just walk in and, and they will listen because that's yeah. their job. Yeah. Here in America, definitely do that. Overseas, it's a mm -hmm. lot more difficult, but here in the United of course. States, of course. Yes. It's yeah. definitely do that because it is their job. It is their job to protect you. That book that I was talking about, A Child Called It, it's horrendous what some adults actually do to children. And it is so mm -hmm. important to get out of that situation. So I'm glad that we talked about that. A lot of podcasts don't ask me about child abuse situations. It's always women. So this is wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because I thought it was something important to talk about because I know it happens a lot and yeah. And I've had people that's happened to who've become friends of mine. So I know how hard it can be, especially as a child, because you don't know anything. These are the people supposed to protect you and they're not there for you. So it's really, really important. The work you do is just so amazing. And that said, is there any other thing we should be thinking about touching on? Because I still think the shame factor, and one thing I want to say actually is how important it is if you've had this story in your life and you've overcome it to make your voice be known, like what you're saying, because it's only by people hearing those voices that we can try and end this type of thing. Amanda, would it be okay if I give away a gift? Of course. Definitely. Okay, great. 
So I run my nonprofit, Mm. but I also created a coaching and different programs, right? Coaching programs, speaking programs, et cetera, et cetera. And we developed a system, a five-step system to help people overcome challenges. And in order to speak up, you have to really recognize what it is that you have gone through and then move past that by changing your thought process, elevating your feelings, using specific words that lead to action steps. Those action steps could be therapy, traditional and non-traditional. Non-traditional could look like dance, could look like movement, could look like meditation, making sure that you take care of yourself in order for you to be able to get to a place where you can speak up. Now, if you're here in the United States listening to this, if you text the word UNITE, U-N-I-T-E, again, UNITE, to 26786, again, text UNITE to 26786, Eight six, you'll receive a six-page PDF with information on how to overcome challenges, whether it is depression, anxiety, domestic abuse, child abuse. The first step, like I said, is recognition because you have to first recognize what you've gone through. And then we talk about thoughts and feelings and words and action steps, but it really does help a lot of our clients to overcome where they are. I do a lot of private coaching and one of my former clients She was abused as a child, sexually abused, and she didn't know how to talk about it. And she knew that she had to. She also, her sister was killed by her sister's husband. So domestic violence. She had a lot of trauma that happened to her. And when we started coaching, the first step was her to realize what she'd gone through and then start speaking up about it. And once she started speaking up, the healing began. So we teach the philosophy, you have to feel in order to heal, which means you have to feel through the pain, feel through those Mm -hmm. emotions. When I was rehearsing my play, but I love him, it was so therapeutic. It really was. And people would tell me, oh, that must be therapeutic. And I was like, screw you. No, you're wrong. Looking back on it, it was though. And I ended up rehearsing and rehearsing and beating myself up on stage and reliving those horrible experiences, the sexual violence that happened to me. And then once I started reliving, then I was like, I can let go of it. It's like a fist. You just start to let go. And when I started to let go, other possibilities opened up for me, platforms, helping other people. And we help to teach you to use your experience to then create a business, a mission, a movement, a ministry, a nonprofit, whatever it is that you want to do, know that you can do it no matter what experience that you've been through, because your voice matters. So thank you, Amanda and Chandra. That's a beautiful gift. Tell them the text again, just one more time, because sometimes people don't are running to get a pen or something. Yeah, no problem. So text the word UNITE, U-N-I-T-E, to the number 26786. Again, it's 26786. Yeah, it sounds like a really good, another really good first step yeah. too. So thank you for that gift, Michelle. Oh, yes. Beautiful. And if you're watching this on YouTube or even if you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts, we'll put it in part of the show notes. We'll put the whole thing, the word and the text. If you can text that to me after the show so I can include it in the show notes and Perfect. people can 
text and get this very helpful information. This has been very moving for both of us. I can see both, you can see both our eyes because it's an issue that, you know, I think most of us know someone that has either been through this or have experienced it in one form or the other ourselves. So it's just amazing to have people like you that are out there telling people to speak up because storytelling is a form of healing. And through hearing other people's stories, it empowers us to do the best for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And one person can make a difference. A lot of Mm -hmm. times people, you know, say, well, how little me, what can I do? And for a while I was thinking that too, but because I decided to speak up, we're now impacting thousands and thousands of people. And it's not about me Mm -hmm. anymore. It's much larger than me. And your voice, like I said, does matter. I love the movie Finding Nemo and the quote that they say, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. It's so important because just keep going, just keep Mm -hmm. going, putting one one of the other. In closing from my side, I just have one more question, and that is about the people in your life that are observing you going through this. I'm wondering, do you have any advice for the family and friends who are seeing a loved one going through something and maybe being suspicious that there could be definitely manipulation, control, and then potentially violence going on? What can they do to help? Because sometimes I think going to the victim, that victim may not be open to it yet or, you know, ready to take action. So what's the responsibility of the observer? Just keep your door open. So oftentimes the victim isn't ready when you tell them, when you confront them, when you say, please leave that relationship, when they end up on your doorstep with a bloody nose and a black eye, and then they go back to the abuser, you feel frustrated. You're like, why did you do that? However, it's a cycle. It's a cycle of domestic violence. And no matter what you tell that person, if they're not yet ready to make that move, then they're going to continue to go back. So oftentimes family members and friends will close their doors to those victims, thinking that it's their fault because they keep going back. However, I encourage you as a family, as a friend, to keep that door open, that line of communication, because Once she's ready, once they're ready to leave, they're going to need you. And once that time happens, they're going to need somebody they trust. And definitely keep your phone open, keep your door open so that they have someplace to go when they finally do make that decision. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And maybe giving them the text to your resource. Mm -hmm for them to observe and, you know, kind of review on their own might be helpful as well. I know some people are better about being direct about what they're seeing and offering that support. And other people are much more shy about when, you know, not wanting to be in their business or that kind of thing. And so maybe that resource that you're offering can help the people just have something else to offer that's not just coming from them, but saying, hey, there's this thing that, you know, somebody offered that I thought you might want to check out. And Sean, another another thing, sorry to interrupt you, another thing. So my book, But I Love Him, has a lot of details about my abusive situation. To those individuals who are going through something or who know somebody who are going through something, This book actually helps them realize and recognize what it is that they're actually facing. So we even can give away free eBooks. So for those of you who know somebody, if you go on unsilencedvoices.org and you email us, 
I can go ahead and send out copies of the ebook of But I Love Him so you can send it to those individuals that need assistance. Yeah, that's such a good idea. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll put the link on that as well. And all the little YouTube and Facebook videos we do at Beauty on the Beat. So I'll put the link to that so that they can contact you on the link, all your links as well. And Michelle, I mean, it's been great having you here. And thank you for coming on here and speaking your truth, sharing your voice so that people can hear it out there. We really appreciate all the work you do. And guys, if you want to contact Michelle or contact the organization, it's unsilencedvoices.org. If you know anyone out there that's being abused or you're listening to this and you are being abused, please do something about it because your life is worth so much more than that. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on Beauty and the Beat. Thank you so much. Thank you for the inspiration. Thanks, Thanks ladies.